This episode of The Holistic Voice was made possible by Old Fox. If you're looking for a fun way to impress your colleagues in rehearsal while enjoying some creative visuals and eye-grabbing design, your answer is Old Fox. Owner and soprano Lauren Urquhart designs a variety of cheeky music-themed shirts, posters, bags, and more for singers and opera fanatics in your life. Jordan and I have loved geeking out over some of these gifts, like the punny Richard Straust-out mugs to a score tote bag in Baron Rider Blue, and my personal favorite, a t-shirt that you can bring to family parties that reads, No, I don't want to sing for you. Head over to etsy.com slash shop slash oldfox. That's O-L-D-F-A-C-H-S. No spaces. To support this amazing small business by a singer for singers. And when you use code the Holistic Voice, all capital letters and no spaces, you'll receive 10% off of your first order. Now, on to the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Holistic Voice. Jordan and Austin here with you, as always. Uh, we are here uh, with a very special guest, a very exciting episode coming up. But uh, first, Jordan, how the heck are you? How are you holding up in uh, in your quarantine, your COVID quarantine existence? Doing really well. Fortunate to be up here in northern Idaho still. So oh, You are? Okay, I was curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So still in Idaho. California is starting to... Um, like do the phrases to opening up stuff but it's just a lot more fun to live on in north idaho where there's like no one anyway so (laughs) you can't even talk to people if you wanted to yeah my my uh father-in-law's favorite joke is the six feet apart rule they're like well idahoans are like well do we have to be that close so (laughs) yeah exactly so it's nice that's wonderful i think it's really interesting too that um I don't know. I think that these podcasts are kind of a, a time capsule record of what uh, what's going on at that particular time, because we'll be, you know, editing it and, and sending them out weeks later, if not months. And so it'll be good to kind of see the progression of everything that's going on. Um, so it's good to hear kind of your update with everything. Um, we're actually in South Carolina for my parents' birthday. We went down there to see them, so we're we're hanging out for the next few days. But um, awesome. Anyway, digress. Uh, we have a very very special guest today, um, a colleague and a friend of mine actually from undergrad, uh, Lauren Urquhart, who is a French American soprano currently working in Germany and Austria. Uh, Lauren has has won awards in, in several prestigious competitions, including first place and audience favorite in the Ames Meisterzinger competition. And uh, and you recently joined uh, the ensemble of the Vienna Volksoper as one of the youngest members in history. So uh, before I butcher more things, Lauren, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and chatting with us about your unique experiences as um, you know be, beginning your uh, musical journey. Uh, abroad in Europe. And so we're, we're really, really glad to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Well, Lauren, could you tell me a little bit about your musical journey? So I know you went to Vanderbilt with Austin, but um, let's go even before that. So what got you into music? Why did you choose to study it? And that sort of thing. Sure. Um, so I, I didn't grow up with classical music at all. I actually didn't see my first opera until I was in university already. Yep, that's me too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't have opera in my hometown. Um, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. It's 
they, they have some operas now, but uh, not really when I was growing up. So anyway, I grew up with pop music, rock music. I played music with my dad and with my brothers. We had a little band going just for fun. Mm. Um, I took piano lessons for a year when I was seven. Uh, so I really, I didn't have a ton of musical background until I joined choir when I was in middle school. And yeah, it's, it's all history from there. Choir was my big introduction into the classical music world. I went to an arts magnet school for high school. It's called Weaver Academy in Greensboro. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think the thing that inspired me to study music and to really choose to go into it as a career was this summer program I did in high school. It's called the Vocal Arts Program at DePaul University. Um, and you go for a few weeks and you, you do this intensive program. You take stage makeup classes, acting classes, um, you do musical theater scenes. And I was just absorbed in that world. And I, I decided that that was what I wanted to do. I think I was about 16. Lauren, now, so I'm curious, from from that musical journey up until there, uh, what was your impetus to um, not necessarily do the U.S. circuit, but make the jump internationally into Europe to explore um, the singing field over there? Yeah, so I think the thing for me, after undergrad, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't know whether I wanted to go to grad school. So I said, okay, I'm going to take a gap year. At the end of this year, I'll decide whether I want to go to grad school. Um, and then I, I would have more time for my voice to develop. Uh, but I wanted to make my gap year worth it. And I wanted to learn what the system was like over here. What are my options? Because I, I didn't know. I didn't really learn that in school. So I decided to go just to sort of dip my feet in the water. I wanted to learn German. I wanted to make some connections. I didn't really have connections going in. Um, and I just wanted to take voice lessons and do auditions. So I decided the best option for me for my quote unquote gap year would be to be an au pair for a year. Um, so that was my original plan. And I, I decided to go right after graduation in 2018 to start an au pair year. Uh, and it was, for me, it was supposed to be just a throwaway year. And I would just, like I said, learn German, voice lessons, really just learn what the system was like. Uh, and then sort of by accident, a job fell in my lap and I quit my au pair job and went started singing in Nuremberg in Germany. No way. That, that is so cool. So yeah, usually the, the, the path that, that people talk about is, you know, I, I book a ticket for a week and a half or two weeks and I audition in front of all these different agents in Europe and try to get uh, some sort of job or contract through there. And, and, and this, this, do, this doesn't sound like the, the normal route. So that's so exciting that you, isn't that funny how things work out when you go over there? <laughs> Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, I, I didn't expect it at all, but it was a 
total case of right place, right time. Um, I was at Ames and I did this Meistersinger competition. Uh, and one of the judges happened to be the intendant of the Staatstheater Nuremberg, Sebastian Meyer, and he said, I want to offer you a job. And I got my first guest contract through Ames. Um, and I also found my agent through Ames, um, who helped me set up that first contract. So it was a total fluke. <laughs> That's so interesting. Do you see that happening a lot with that program in particular with Ames, singers coming out of Ames and staying in Europe? Um, I, I think so. I don't know of a ton of examples firsthand, but mm -hmm. they definitely tout themselves as a program that is a good introduction into the European system. I definitely learned a lot about how it works. We got to talk to agents and sing for agents, several agents. Um, we got to talk to some more experienced singers and teachers who are living in Europe, who are doing the European system. Uh, and we got to ask lots of questions. So that that was a really good in introduction into the European system for me. But I'm not sure about how many people have gone and made the jump. Sure. I think that's a great, um, great thing to say about AIMS, though, as a program, because I've found that there are other, you know, U.S.-based musical programs that go overseas to Europe and other places. Um, and I worry that sometimes those programs are really built on the novelty of the experience, you know, going outright instead of actually giving you practical information and hands-on experience like that. So um, kudos to Ames for that. That's great. Yeah, you have to be really careful. I know of a lot of programs that, I mean, I, I won't name any names, but the, mm -hmm. there seems to be this formula of beautiful little city somewhere in the Italian or Austrian Alps. Um, it's essentially a vacation for American teachers. And they say, oh, you'll work with teachers from X famous grad school in the US. Mm -hmm. And then what really happens is they take all their students who get the best opportunities at these small programs. You pay thousands of dollars or euros. And then it's a vacation for the teachers so you have yep. to be really careful with these programs yeah that's it's really great to flag um something like that we we spoke in a previous episode about uh really being cautious and looking for those very red flags uh that you were speaking about so glad that you're uh you're mentioning that again um lauren you mentioned earlier that that you currently work with an agent do you think that that is a requirement for someone looking to sing in a different country you know other than their own or uh, or not? You know, I'd say it's almost a necessity in Europe, especially if you aren't fluent in the language of the country you're looking to work in. Um, my experience is mostly in the German-Austrian circuit, uh, and I am, I have a working proficiency of German, but I really didn't when I first moved here. I spoke almost no German. Um, so it was a godsend to have an agent who is a native German speaker and who has that savvy. He knows how to send the emails. He knows how to tactfully negotiate a contract. He has those connections in the opera houses. And he also knows what's appropriate for my level. So if a good agent is well worth the commission that you pay. Um, they're constantly sending your information out to different 
houses, finding you work, and they handle everything. So I would say it's, it's almost a necessity. Wow, it sounds like you have a good agent. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have a great agent. He really puts in the work for me and he takes care of me. So I, I really appreciate the work that he's done for me. What would you say would be good, um, a good way to find an agent in that situation? Because it sounds like you found your agent through your connections with Ames. Um, how would you recommend people wanting to go into a similar thing? How, would, how should they go agent hunting? That's a great question. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that I haven't had to do the agent search, but mm. from what they told us at Ames, um, you go to Opera Base and you find emails and you, you, you sort of write out an email in German if you're doing the German circuit. Um, personalize it to each agent. Don't just send out a mass email to everyone, but send out you know, 200 emails asking for auditions. So you say, I'm going to be in Berlin from this date to this date, or I'm going to be in Paris or Vienna or wherever you're going. Um, I would love to sing for you to set up an audition and send recordings and send your website or your um, resume. Um, and then once you get those agents, the, the once you get the responses from the agents, you might get... 30 responses out of 200 emails, maybe less, maybe more. Uh, and you have to just go scrounge through these agents' websites, look for what singers they're working with, what level of singers they're working with. Some agents will have a wide variety of singers that they work with. They'll work with the more beginning, younger singers, and maybe they'll work with some big-time more famous singers too. Um, and you just have to do some scrounging around and, and look for, okay, wow, this agent's got some singers that are doing some really cool things. Um, and then you just have to, uh, I mean, so much of it is go with your gut. There are some big red flags you have to look out for. For example, um, you got to be really careful if an agent asks you for money before they find you work. Mm. A, a good agent in the European system, the German-Austrian system, will only take commission. They won't ask for a 200 euro fee to hear you. Um, you may have to pay a fee for a pianist or maybe even booking a space. But if, if an agent asks you for anything before they've found you work, big red flag. Um, also, if they ask you to sign a contract before you get any jobs from them that says you have to be exclusive to my agency, that's also something to look out for. It's not necessarily the end of the world. Some agents work that way. But if you do sign away your exclusivity, be really sure that that's the agent for you. Be really sure that they're going to be able to get you work. And I would say on that, you know, just communication would be key for that, right? If that's if that's what they're writing in their contract, then maybe just talking to them about that thing. Um, where a lot of people would be nervous or like, oh, I don't know if it's, you know, I think people need to get out of their comfort zones a little bit when it comes to that because it's your life. <laughs> 
Yeah. Thank you. That's that's great information. In terms of contracts, uh, not necessarily on the agent side, but um, in your experience with uh, different contracts for either jobs or performances, um, again, this is a stereotype. Haven't really seen it uh, firsthand, but having that strict FAH system when it comes to contracting in Europe, um, do you think that's uh, necessarily a true thing where you know it, you're you're put more in a vocal box than in the in the United States or no I think it's not quite as strict as people think uh in the US there seems to be this that's what I thought going in too is oh it's it's really they take the Fox system seriously and they do use it as a guideline and there are certain roles that people get picky about for example Pamina. For some reason, everybody has an idea of what the perfect Pamina will be. Uh, and some people, I mean, the, the opera houses are generally smaller here. So sometimes they cast Pamina a little bit lighter. Um, whereas in the US, it would be really more full lyric. Um, but like I said, everybody has their own idea of what a Pamina, what a Pamina sounds like. And yet, they will ask every soprano to sing Pamina if you've listed it on your audition list. So it's as long as you could sing the role and the piece fits your voice and the role fits the way you look, then it's fair game. I, I think people can overlap the fox a little bit more than people would expect here. Um, so something I've also heard is that if you get contracted to a house for like a season, um, that sometimes you are forced to sing outside of your FAQ. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, I've auditioned for jobs where that would have been the case. I auditioned for a job in Switzerland that would have been a year contract in a studio. Uh, mm. And they were, the roles that they were offering were... I don't even remember what the roles were, but there were two mezzo roles and there was one role I'd never even heard of. There was one Zwischenfach E Handel role and then, you know, one tiny soprano role. I'm a soprano, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to be careful in these entry level, especially studio or young artist programs. Um, because a lot of times they'll just use young singers. They'll say, okay, well, we've got you for a year. We're going to work you to the bone and you're going to be doing four to six performances a week. I'm, yeah, I'm exaggerating there, but you're going to be performing a ton and you're going to be doing mostly roles that will not build your resume roles that, mm. uh, I mean, I, I don't want to, talk about new music in that way because I, I love singing new music and it's been a huge part of the build building blocks of my career. But a lot of times those pieces just get stuck on the young singers. And then at the end of your one or two years of your studio contract, people are going to look at the roles on your resume and they're going to say, you know, why have you been singing this? And you don't have any standard repertoire on your resume. Where's your bigger, meatier roles. So you, you do have to be careful. Um, I was lucky in my 
the only fest gig I've had, the only longer contract I've had is at the Volksoper. And they have been so wonderful. I, I sat down with the casting director, my agent, and myself, and we just talked about what roles would be possible. So the casting director said, here's what I think. He had listened to my audition, so he knew my voice. He listed the roles that came to mind for him when he heard my voice. And he said, you know, pick and choose. See what you think you would be interested in singing. And it was a real back and forth. So I've, I've been really lucky to, to have that experience in my jobs. And as long as you have an agent that sticks up for you, a house that you can trust, and you know your voice well enough, you can really, you can say no if, if a role's not right for you. You just have to be uh, flexible with it. Right. And I think that's where most singers, especially when they start off, would feel that conflict is if they, they don't feel like they have the luxury to say no, you know, like they, they just want to get work however they can get it. So, oh, totally. Some houses will take advantage of that and they'll say, here's a young singer. I can just put whatever on them and pay them almost nothing and they'll deal with it because they have no other option. And to that, I would say, trust your gut and stick up for yourself. You can say mm -hmm. no if a role is not right for you. Right. I love that. So having that perspective, knowing where you want to be and seeing if that's going to, to lead to that place. That's great. Gosh, it sounds like every stereotypical like intern movie or uh, comedy show that I'm hearing too. That sounds like a lot of work workplaces. <laughs> they you know shove all that on the intern, you know, and do all those things yeah. because you, exactly. you know you know they don't have any experience. So that's it's really good point to raise, Lauren, because it's not just in the traditional you know nine to five work field. You see that in the in the singing field as well. So it's good to hear. Oh, I just want to say to add on to that. We had an interview with Rachel Willis Sorensen, um, and one of the things that she said that uh, reminds me of our conversation here was that in successful singers, the the thing she sees most common, the most common attribute of successful singers, is that they believe in their product, like they know what it is that they're giving out into the world, and they're confident in it. So, yeah, I think that's a really important first step before. Uh, getting out there in the world. So that's great. Yeah. And it's so easy to be desperate in the beginning. I remember, you know, before I started working, I was just, I really, really wanted to do something. And so if I had gotten an offer early on for one of these studio gigs, I probably would have jumped at it. But mm -hmm. luckily I've, I've got an agent who really knows what he's doing. And he says, you know, he knows which things are worth applying for, which houses are good to work in. Um, so that's another good value of a good agent. So I think COVID has been so prevalent. I think it's important to kind of ask and get a, a temperature on, on what's happening um, abroad as well, you know, because it's, it's affected everyone internationally. So, um, Definitely. Yeah. So, so COVID nineteen has has heavily affected our industry. Um, many of us have been hit hard. Uh, what's been your experience, uh, Lauren, and and how are you holding up? How are you doing? So I'm I'm 
doing pretty well given the circumstances. I've, I'm one of the lucky ones who has a stable job. That's one of the benefits of, of having a fest gig in Europe is you, you don't really have to worry about job security as much. Um, but even I've lost out on gigs, on income. I, I, a few days ago, I calculated the amount of income I've lost so far, and I just I don't want to even think uh. about that. Oh, it's, yeah. So it, it's it's not easy, but I am I feel very 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 fortunate to be a living in Austria where they're handling the situation fabulously. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is that social safety net. Um, and the, the pandemic is really being handled responsibly here. Things are starting to open up slowly now. Um, but they really, they got on it pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I, I had, I was supposed to sing my first Zerlina in France this summer. And I recently found out that that was canceled. So pretty bummed about that. And also just small concerts in Vienna, church soloist gigs. Um, So, yeah, for the first few weeks, I really, I wasn't even inspired to sing. I was (laughs) kind of down. Uh, Now I'm slowly getting back to singing and getting back in shape. So, What's it look like as far as performances for you? When, When will they have you in the house next? Yeah, well, they they canceled the rest of the season. The season mm-hmm. would have gone through May, and I they actually they canceled a huge premiere that I was going to do, of a, a European premiere of a piece called Schoenberg in Hollywood by Todd Mockover. Ooh, wow! Um, it's a really cool piece. Um, yeah. I, there are only three singers, so I I would have been singing the role of girl, which is all of the female characters in Schoenberg's life. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a that sounds fascinating. It was a great production. We'd just gotten through staging and then Corona happened and they we had to just halt everything. So that was a big bummer. But they're trying to open up um, starting in September with performances. there's there's no way to know what will happen between now and then. Um, mm-hmm. but we're slowly being able to, start coaching again we're going to start coaching again um, mid-may and then starting in june we will probably be able to rehearse again so um there are normally what the folks up does the season lasts through may and then we rehearse a little bit in june for the next season and then we've got the summer off so that you know the that doesn't change anything with the summer but hopefully Fingers crossed we'll get back to performing again in September. Well, it seems like you're really on this this great path, Lauren, from from what future performances would have looked like for you. Seems like your growth um, at, at this house and other uh, and with your fest contract, it seems like you you really have established a great relationship um, in, in honestly the short amount of time that you've been there that it's it's really exciting to hear how far you've come uh in in my eyes at least i, I mean we we haven't spoken in uh, a long time so it's really really great to hear i'm sorry of course you know how this has affected your work but it really seems like you're on a great path and it's really exciting to hear thank you yeah i've, I've like i said i'm really lucky and um yeah the 
there are so many people who have it worse than I do. So all I can do is be grateful for where I am. Yeah. Um, well, the really the last question that I want to ask, and of course, you know, Jordan, please feel free to continue the conversation. But uh, for you, Lauren, convention, well, for all the listeners here, conventional thinking can sometimes tie musicians down when it comes to finding opportunities. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, after your grad school, you have to go to New York and you have to do the circuit of auditions. And if you don't do that, your life is over. You know, th- those types of things, like very uh, regimented, streamlined way of thinking. Um, and we have obviously heard in this episode alone, um, notwithstanding others on this series, that you've blazed your own trail in a way. Um, so, so do you have any tips for those looking to follow uh, kind of an unconventional or, or, or an international path um, similar to you? Sure. Yeah. I, like I said, I, I didn't know whether I wanted to go to grad school. I didn't know if it was right for me. So I did do that gap year. Um, and to make that gap year worth it, I wanted to study on my own as much as possible. Um, and I think the, the biggest tips I would have would be learn German or, you know, learn whatever language of the country you want to go work in. Um, it, it helps so much with your diction too. Diction is a huge thing. Um, be able to sound like a native speaker, listen to, listen to as many native speakers sing as possible. Because mm. if you can come to Germany and audition and give a convincing German diction show, then you're way more likely to get hired. Um, in, in my job in the Volksoper, I have to do um, dialogue in German sometimes. And I coach extensively with their speech coach there to sound like a native speaker. And sometimes I even have to do dialect. I had to do a Viennese dialect when I did Papagena. Oh. Uh, wow. <laughs> which was, it was fun. I, I had to work really hard on it. Um, and then I, I also did Liesel and Sound of Music. And for that, there was a ton of dialogue in German. Um, and they wanted me to sound Austrian. They didn't want me to even sound German with Hochdeutsch. So I would say learn how to speak and sing in as many languages possible. Languages as possible. That's awesome. Um, another thing, acting skills is huge. That If you can work on your acting skills in concrete ways now as a student or studying on your own, take acting classes that are just straight acting classes, not even to do with singing, uh, read about acting. Another thing is you just have to be comfortable on stage, perform as much as possible, get in front of people, even just friends here and there. Hey, I'm working on this piece. Can you come listen to me? I want to sing in front of people. So there are, there are things you can do, uh, to prepare for an international career or even just in the U.S., I'd say a lot of things. A lot of these things are still relevant. Right. Do you have any? You mentioned reading about acting. Do you have any books you'd recommend? A Practical Handbook for the Actor is a great one. I've read that one okay. over to cover a few times. I'd imagine that diction work you're doing for the different dialects would just be so hard to compartmentalize and shift gears back to like Hochdeutsch. 
after definitely <laughs> <laughs> let me yeah. tell you being in vienna has been the best and the worst thing for my german skills <laughs> <laughs> the accent here is so strong and it took me forever to even be able to understand people here mm -hmm. uh, but now that i have that in my toolbox i can if i'm careful <laughs> i can do both right so yeah what do you do when you're when you're speaking around there, do you find yourself picking up that dialect and speaking that way? And then you just have to switch when you go to perform di dialogue on stage? Or are you working constantly to talk in that style, even when there's that dialect around you? Well, most of the people around me are Austrian or Viennese. Mm -hmm. um, I do work with a few German people too, but mainly when it comes to my spoken German, I, I tend towards the more Austrian dialect, the more it's like a sort of looser slang, a little bit mm -hmm. different with the vowels. Um, but then when I do dialogue on stage or when I sing, um, I make more clear choices. And so then I, I really rehearse a lot just on my own. I rehearse the dialogue or I rehearse the things I'm singing so I can make choices about which vowels I'm going to use or, you know, how it's, how it should sound in the dialect I'm choosing. Awesome. Great. And, um, another point you had brought up that I just want to emphasize again for the audience is when you had mentioned looking for agents I think it's important that you didn't say you emailed, like, you know, you found a list of 15 or 20. You said 200. <laughs> um, I think that's really important to bring up to the audience. You know, that's, it's not like, it's even not like looking for grad school even, where, you know, you might have a handful of grad schools you want to apply to. It's when you're in the world working, you have to be reaching out to so many people and making that a big part of what you do. Um, yeah. So I mean, there's the. No problem. There's the age-old cliche of you're going to hear a thousand no's before you get one yes. And mm -hmm. I think that's so true in the in the opera world, in the classical music world. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, Lauren, before, before we uh, wrap up, um, uh, the one thing I wanted to talk about, too, is your, your, your wonderful side gig or uh, exciting uh, business venture as, as, as well as your uh, blooming, uh, singing career, uh, old Fox. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's so cool. It's so exciting that your, that your, <laughs> your interests of course are, you know, you've blended your passion for singing into, um, this, this exciting, uh, other job. So can you tell us a little bit about old Fox? Sure. So old Fox is a, an Etsy shop where I have designed, a series of apparel that relates to opera singing or classical music. Most of it's cheesy t-shirts. They're fun, <laughs> silly shirts or mugs that would be good gifts for opera singers. Um, but some of the shirts I design are a little more niche. And so you would wear a shirt that looks kind of cool, but no one would understand it unless they're also an opera singer. So... <laughs> fun things to wear to rehearsal. Um, I've, I've also got a couple new things in the works, a line of pride t-shirts that say diva, divo or divex gender neutral, mm. cool. um, with nice. all the pride flag designs on them. Pretty excited about those. That's cool. And, uh, I'm working on a stationary line 
that is going to be mostly little cards that say toy 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 on them that you can get for your opera casts oh i love that what a creative outlet that's that's really really cool what i will definitely um if that's all right with you we'll put that uh information the link down in our episode bio too um because that i just think it's i like it i i really think it's so cool so creative um thank you thanks wonderful um all right well uh, Jordan, anything else? Lauren, was there anything else uh, that you didn't think we, we covered? Anything else that uh, you'd want us to include here on this episode? I mean, I think the, the biggest thing for me to sum things up would be a lot of this is about being in the right place at the right time. But when that time comes, you have to be ready for the challenge. And if you put in the work now, You'll be you'll be prepared when you get your chance. You'll you'll be there at the right time. Lauren Urquhart, French American soprano, currently working in Germany and Austria. Lauren, thank you again so much for joining the show today. Um, we are we're excited to see where uh, where things take us uh, and follow along with your journey. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks.